Across the street from the Texas State Capitol in Austin, this is the Trey Blocker Show, starring Charlie Hodge and Trey Blocker, with today's special guests, the owner of Live Oak Brewing Company, Chip McElroy, and the co-founder of Austin Beer Works, Michael Graham. And here's Trey Blocker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trey Blocker Show. Charlie, for the first time ever, I'm going to start the show with a disclaimer. Oh, all right. How about that? You're going to talk fast? I should, in, in legalese, too. Uh, I, I want to clearly state at the outside, outset of this episode that the views expressed by Trey Blocker on the Trey Blocker Show are the views of Trey Blocker, not the views of any of his clients, employees, or anyone else who should be held harmless. All right. Good enough? Sounds like good. I got to go back and listen to the other episodes. <laughs> Welcome, Chip. Welcome, Michael. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Chip, um, you and I have known each other for a long time, and I've enjoyed your beer for a long time. Uh, tell us when you started Live Oak Brewing Company. We uh, got going in 1997, and about 10 years after that, I believe we met in 07, didn't we? I think that's right. <clears throat> Uh, we we started then on a, 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 what had been a former meatpacking plant or a sausage factory. Mighty fine facility. Yes. <laughs> and you remember it, I know. Made the beer taste better. Um, <laughs> that was over on East 5th Street. Pretty small, pretty cramped quarters. And uh, we were there for 18 and a half years. And we just recently finished building and moving into the the new digs over uh, behind fast park across the freeway from the um, the airport we're making the same kinds of beers that we've always made um, we tend to make german and czech style beers maybe polish beers central european style right. beers we so you, go, s- you started out with a czech pills that was our first beer the pills is our first beer and then uh, uh our second beer was the hefeweizen and that back in the day we could hardly give it away and now we can't make enough <laughs> uh, that's a good problem to have yeah and, and most people who know chip mcelroy uh don't know that you are doctor Chip McElroy. Explain that to the audience. Uh, Yes, I got my PhD in biochemistry at the University of Texas. Very good. And I got my uh, undergraduate degree there, too. I'm sort of inbred. (laughs) (laughs) Do you study any beer at the University of Texas as well? That's that's always the second major of a graduate Uh, student. Of every good student. Yeah. And in fact, that's when I started homebrewing was uh, during graduate school. And and uh, we really, we got into some, you know, we used to have parties where we had, uh, we asked everyone to bring a six pack of import or domestic micro brew as hmm. it was referred okay. to back in that time. Gotcha. And uh, we used to have some good parties. And then when I was, uh, when I finished graduate this school. This is all research, right? No, back then, it was just graduate school. (laughs) (laughs) This didn't go into your thesis? No, no. (laughs) Tell us, what was the title of your thesis? Do you remember? Uh, Yeah, it was... um, Been a lot of beer uh, since then. There has been a lot of beer. You know, if you ask me in a little while, I'll probably remember it. But I I think it was uh, site-directed mutagenesis of... And then I named two amino acid residues in histidine decarboxylase from lactobacillus 30A. Bless you. Yeah. Now, um, does having a Ph.D. help you make better beer? Yeah, it actually does. And when when they study brewing in in Europe, it's it's not a six-weeks course or something like that. It can take six years. You can get a, you can get a, a, a master's or a, a, a PhD in it. Uh, is basically what the, the the degrees amount to. So yeah, it's um, and and it's a you do it after your undergraduate degree. So it's a it's a big deal. 
So did you get this PhD knowing that you wanted to make beer at that point? No, at the time I just wanted to drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) And study Um, amino residues uh, and whatnot. uh, Yes, Um, So when did the epiphany hit you that you needed to be a beer maker? uh, I did my postdoc out in um, uh, San Diego. And this was in uh, 89 through 92 is when I was out there. And there were uh, small breweries out there. There were brew pubs, which was just beyond thinking about in Texas at that time. And um, I I really liked it. And I I met another guy who was also a postdoctoral fellow out there. And we started homebrewing together. He was already a very good homebrewer. And we started homebrewing together, and I really learned how to homebrew much better than I had in graduate school. All grain brewing, making lagers, um, uh, decoction brewing. Uh, you know, he was another scientist. I was a scientist. We really got into the science of brewing. So um, that's when I got into it, came back to Austin, and uh, uh, joined the homebrew club, the Austin the Zealots. <laughs> and uh, um, and started brewing with uh, Brian Peters, Brian Swifty Peters. Uh, he had a really good stove, and I had really good brewing equipment. And so I took my equipment over to his house. Uh, much to his, yeah, much to his <laughs> wife's dismay. And uh, so we started brewing together, and then things got out of control, and we started a brewery. And, and here you are today. Yeah. So what are your most popular beers today? Uh, the Hefe, the Pills, Big Bark, our uh, Primus Weizenbach, <laughs> which I know uh, you like, is so, a very popular beer. So I heard a rumor that, that you're actually going to start uh, f- year-round production of the Primus. Uh, is that true, or did I dream that? You just dreamed that. Damn. But it is going to be available in cans seasonally for uh. its season this year. We'll see. So, you know. Ch- Charlie, have you had the Primus? No, I haven't. Let me say this. Uh, when you go into a bar and you say, "Can I have a? Pi- may I have a pint of Primus? They look at you like you're a damn fool. Yeah. Right? But if you say, may I have a pint of Primus? They say, oh, yes, you. No. Well, usually they say, no, we don't have it. We're yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. That's usually <laughs> what they say. But it is a Hefe Weizenbach. It, yeah, it's a, a Weizen Doppelbach. Yeah. Yeah. Doppelbach. Okay. Yeah. yeah what is the? What is? The, what, what was? What were you referring to, though? I don't. That's its, you know, name. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the name of it's, it. As opposed it like to the big bark. Primus. Yeah. yeah. Primus. It's, it's, yeah. it's spelled like the band. Oh, okay. Yeah. All. Uh, all. Uh, Weizen Doppelbachs end in U.S. The names of them. Mm-hmm. Just like um, a um, Doppelbach, a, a, a lager Doppelbach, they all end in A T O R. As in celebrator, oh, okay. uh, optimator, <laughs> and ours is liberator. Mm-hmm. Which is a very tasty beer. So, as you mentioned earlier, earlier you moved from an old meatpacking warehouse on East Fifth Street to a very impressive piece of property out by the airport, and you've got an incredible facility out there that opened officially when? Um, we officially got moved in uh, December first of sixteen. Okay. Uh, and I think it was about four or five years ago. You've had the property. You bought the property, what, a decade ago? I'm sorry, I lied. Fifteen. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody was going to know. You all didn't right, need to correct right, yourself. Right. But you bought the property a long time ago with this vision for the future. That's right. You, you, so you've been sitting on this property for a decade? Uh, we had it for eight years before we started. I bought it in... I bought it 15 days after Lehman Brothers went belly up. So that was kind of a... Wow. But, yeah. That was it's a gutsy time intense. to buy yeah. property. Yeah, I, I knew it was either the smartest or the stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> well, I think it's turning out smart. to be the smartest. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was three or four years ago. You you dragged me out there. We put some beer in a cooler and went out there so you could show me the property. And I have a picture of my dog 
uh, drinking water out of a old rusty hubcap that I think we found on the property. Uh, but I didn't see the vision because uh, to me it just looked like a, a, a junky piece of property. But yeah. but you have built a beautiful facility out there. Well, and, thank you very much. And you're going gangbusters at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah so also great. in the studio is Michael Graham, who's co-founder of Austin Beer Works. Michael, tell us how Austin Beer Works got started. Sure. So we just celebrated our sixth anniversary last weekend, actually. So we're, we're, what's funny, I feel like we're new still, but when we opened up, I think there were 37 breweries in Texas and now there's over 200. So we're, wow. yeah, I mean, new is relative in the beer world these days. Um, so yeah, no, nowhere near as, uh, have been around long as Chip, but, uh, but yeah, so six years now. Um, I grew up in Austin and graduated from Westlake. And from there I went to, uh, University of Colorado in Boulder and that's where I, really got into beer. Um, never, I was never a fan in high school, I think just cause it was always Lone Star or whatever else. And not to knock those too much, but, uh, I just, just never, never my beverage of choice. But when I went to Colorado and they were way ahead of us, uh, or they were at the time, I guess they still are a number of breweries and just the beer culture in general and regulations, which made it possible. Um, I just got exposed to all these new types of beer that I didn't know beer could taste like that. Um, I thought it was all just yellow and light and, you know, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I got into beer there. Uh, I was a geology major and that's what actually got me into beer. Oddly enough that we take a lot of, uh, field courses, field trips through, you know, through the Rockies and through the mountains is a great place to study geology. Um, but the professors would always bring a keg of beer or a few cases in a cooler. And so after the day out in the field, we'd, you know, there's usually, we'd stay at campsites and just sit around the campfire and drink beer and talk about the day. And, and I mean, I, I don't know how you could not love, fall in love with, with whatever, with geology or beer after doing stuff like that. So, that's right. Um, so I really fell, fell in love with beer and just the just the process of sitting around and drinking it with people and um, and drinking good beer, and it just so happens uh, one of my best friends from middle school, high school, he went he ended up going to Baylor, and I don't know how he got into beer at Baylor, but he did. So we you know we kept in touch and uh, we it's talked called about college. Yeah, I know. Michael. Yeah. I'm just saying, like Baptist he, or not, I, he, at Baylor they didn't have any magical uh, camping experiences in the mountains. Right. You know, in, no. I guess you're right though. You're you're probably gonna you know. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't it. as romantic, but yeah, he, he still did it. Um, but yeah, we keep in touch and talk about beer just over the phone. Like, hey, have you tried this one? Oh, no, they don't have that one in Texas yet. Well, I'll bring it down at Christmas time. And, you know, so we we really uh, had, a, you know, even uh, increased our friendship through beer. And we did beer trades whenever we'd come home and hang out over the holidays. Was so, that Adam? That was Adam, Adam yeah. DeBauer. Yeah. And so uh, we really just really got into beer. And then he, <laughs> well... Colorado is a tough place to go to school. I was on a six-year college plan. I took a year <laughs> off in the middle and then, uh, you know, light course load for the rest of the time. And he was on the uh, three-year track, so he got out of there oh, fast. Wow. He's, a, he's a go-getter. Um, so when he graduated, he came up to visit me one summer, and it was going to be supposed to be just a four-day weekend of just hanging out. But we turned it into a beer trip, and I think we went on 15 or 20 brewery tours, just kind of driving from one spot to the another. And it was during that trip that— You mean someone else drove you? You know, we were That's actually, what you meant to we say, were actually really well behaved. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I was, it was, the I was 90s. probably the driver. I mean, yeah, it's a simpler, a simpler time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we went on all these brewery tours and just talking to the employees and just seeing how they worked. It, it just seemed like the uh, I couldn't couldn't believe that people got paid to to make beer and that they seemed like the happiest people and just super content with life and just really great people. And it kind of planted the seed of, wow, you know, how cool would it be to work in a brewery one day? And it kind of culminated at the New Belgium Brewery in Fort Collins, which is sort of like Disneyland for brewers, just miles and miles of stainless and just a beautiful, beautiful site. And we got a, that was our last kind of stop on the tour. And we got a flat tire right after leaving their place. And we weren't even mad. We were just sort of euphoric <laughs> floating on like, what a great trip this has been. And that's, well, I think that's the first time we said, yeah, we should, we should work at a brewery one day. Wouldn't we should start our own brewery? It's like how we should just work at a brewery one day. And so we both started home brewing, and um, you know, I I really enjoyed it. But Adam, again, he's a, he's a go getter. He kind of becomes obsessed about things, and uh, he went to grad school in New York, uh, studied criminal justice. He was working at the DA's office there doing criminal investigation, but home brewing at the same time, which is really tough in Manhattan. It's a lot of stairs to haul heavy things <laughs> up, bet. and not right, much space yeah, to yeah. do it in. Um, but yeah, he he uh, he just got more and more and more into beer and became obsessed about it to the point where he quit his day job and said, I, I want to, uh, I want to be a brewer. So he just applied to breweries all over the country. And the first one that wrote him back was in Frederick, Maryland. So he moved out to Frederick, Maryland, started wow. working there. And that's where he met, uh, Will Golden, who was our head brewer. He was the head brewer at the uh, Frederick Brewing Company that hired Adam on. Um, and right after he hi hired on or got, got hired, uh, 
Frederick Brewing Company got bought out by Flying Dog, which is a Colorado brewery that moved their operations out to the East Coast, which is a really great opportunity. They're a really great regional brewery, and so they got to learn under some really good guys. And so worked there for a while, uh, but he got homesick and wanted to come back to Texas, so he got a job at Real Ale, which is you know out in Blanco, worked for Real for a while. And that's when we started talking seriously about opening up our own place. Um, he had been getting professional experience, and I was still homebrewing, but still uh, really interested in just really interested in beer. Um, and his, the, our fourth partner, Mike McGovern, he met in New York. He was a commercial real estate guy who, you know, right when the market went round under, it was not a good business to be in. So he came back to Austin. He went to a uh, McCombs. <clears throat> so came back to Austin with his family. And uh, Adam and I realized, well, we, we both like beer. We know about making beer, but we don't know anything about, about business or really about, <laughs> you know, or, you know uh, writing recipes. But Will's great at writing recipes. Mike McGovern can put together a great business plan. So the four of us got together at uh, the Ginger Man downtown at the uh, original location. Sure. The first time we all met, met each other. And we just talked over beers. I'm like, oh, I like you. I like you, too. And so we, let's start a business together, which was, you know, an awful idea. But it ended up working out really well. We still, we're still all really good friends. And. And um, making yeah. good beer. We're trying. So what yeah. is your most popular beer these days? Our most popular beer is a beer called Pearl Snap. It's a, it's a Pilsner. Um, That's a good one. Good, you know, easy drinking, hot weather Texas beer. I think as of last year, you know, we over six years, we became the, the largest producer in Austin, Austin-based. I think Chip's probably on pace to, to, to pass us up this year with his new facility. And now that he's in cans, I know he was in that old facility, <laughs> maxing, maxing it out the best he could. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now that he's can make as much beer as he can people are, are drinking it faster than he can make it turns out you always have that problem of not being able to make enough beer no matter what you think right <laughs> yeah you build something from scratch and you yeah. think you're good forever and yeah then, yeah it seems so huge only a year ago right which that, is great that is a good problem to have yeah yeah well both of you are are very good examples of the american dream right i mean you had an idea uh, you, you scrounged together some pennies and and you started uh, building your dream and now both of you own very significant craft breweries in the state of Texas, and and it's a booming industry. It's booming in Texas. Uh, how many are in Texas now? I think two hundred and sixty something, maybe two sixty six. Yeah, somewhere I, in there. I think there's like two two hundred and twenty operating, and then another forty or fifty in planning. How many of those are in the Austin area? Any idea? Oh, I want to say forty to fifty, wow. and oh, that's wow. breweries yeah. and brew pubs together. I think it's it, it, more like fifty. Wow. Yeah, kind of an interesting stat. I mean, that, that's, and like I said, when we started six, six years ago, I think there were 37 breweries in Texas. So those are all, they've all opened up very, you know, within a relatively short amount of time. Hmm. <clears throat> but we're still, we're, uh, we're 46th in breweries per capita. We're way behind almost everywhere else. Um, and we've actually dropped. We were 44th and we've dropped two, you know, two spots over the last couple of years. We're not keeping up with everybody else. That doesn't make sense. Why, why has it dropped? Um, well, I guess, you know, I mean, Texas is, I guess population growth, Texas is growing fast. So that's part of it, but the breweries are not opening up at the same rate, um, as population growth and just as, as quickly as they're opening up in other States. And I would, I would, uh, personally blame, blame, uh, some of our restrictive regulation on small breweries for that fact. Well, there's no doubt we've got some antiquated laws in the state of Texas and, and Chip, you and I got to know each other however many years ago when, uh, we started the Texas Brewers Institute, which was an association of, of brewers, large and small. Right. Uh, Miller Coors was a member. Anheuser-Busch was a member. Uh, you were a member, Real L, St. Arnold's. Uh, we, we had a lot of folks from, from big to very small. And the whole objective of the Texas Brewers Institute, as is the goal of the Brewers Guild today, which you are both a part of, was to improve the the regulatory scheme in texas so that you could do what you do best and that's make beer so in 2013 after sessions and sessions of trying right uh, a package of bills actually got passed uh, tell us what those bills accomplished and how that's affected your business well uh, one of the one of the best things to happen was that we got the ability to have a tap room and sell beer for uh, uh, on-premises consumption. And one of the ironic things, and and I was talking to Amy Cartwright before she gave her testimony yesterday at the, the Senate BNC committee. Um, I was talking to her the day before, 
and they used to run a tap room they have you know had a nicer place than us we didn't really have a tap room at the old place at all and but we did have kegs of beer but it was mostly just us and the mailman that would drink <laughs> beer um and ironically when she was giving away free beer she gave away a certain amount and then when she was she had the ability to sell beer her business went way up. Why is that? I, you know, why? Yes, because you can have, you can be open more hours. You can employ people to to give good service, and I mean, you can because you can be an actual business. And uh, you know, I used to joke about how easy it is to give away beer for free. Right. Um, it's easier to sell it. But, well, it, yeah, if, if you're doing it right. Well, I suspect part like of that. People like to come to a nice place. Sure, and I suspect part of that is, you know, if I if I went to your old place when you just gave away beer, uh, I'd have a pint, maybe two. Uh, but beyond that, I'd start feeling rude drinking all your beer, right? So if people can come and actually You never acted it, that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were going to play along with that. <laughs> but don't you think that's part of it is people if you're giving it away they'll have a have a couple beers and they're like okay that's all i'm gonna have but if they know they can pay for it and it's an arm's length transaction they'll sit there and drink for a while right? well and then you Does can have sense, some Charlie? yeah you can you can have a nice place some buy some chairs and tables for them to sit right. at yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a novel idea yeah <laughs> that's a point too, i mean there's never there's never enough space in a brewery you know you're always running into whatever i mean for whatever storage or just production um, and if you can't sell the beer out of there, there's really no justification for dedicating valuable brewery floor space when there could be a tank there. That's know? true. So, That's true. But now that yeah, now that there's a retail component, you can. And you know we've we've been around these laws and this process enough that what you just said uh, about this law passing in 2013 isn't that big a deal. But I suspect the average person out there is saying, guys, this is the 21st century. Are you telling me you couldn't have a tap room? Until 2013, that's correct. Uh, wow. And you could in most other states by then. Um, right now, uh, Texas is the only state that doesn't allow a brewery to sell beer to the ultimate consumer for off-premises consumption. We are number one in that stat. The only state. Yeah. Well, because I remember a decade ago, you and I went to San Diego and went and toured Stone Brewing Company and walked out with a couple six-packs for the bus ride home. Yeah. Yeah. And Hmm. we still can't do that in the state of Texas. No. So why is that? Well, because the beer distributors don't want us to. So this goes back to— It's a middleman thing. Well, yes. Because they don't want you to be able to buy it directly from the source, really. They want it to go through them and so that they get there. Okay. And this all goes back to the three-tiered system, which I su- expect we need to explain to our audience uh, that, that's not familiar with the fact that under Texas state law, there is a very clear demarcation between the manufacturers of beer, the distributors of beer, and the retailers of beer, correct? Correct. Why do we have that system? Well, uh, back before Prohibition, uh, there were... Uh, admitted abuses of the retailers when, say, a brewery would uh, own the property that, you know, at, at the corner of Elm and Main, and somebody would want to put a bar there, and they would be the landlord, and then he wasn't, and they would force him to buy only, or, you know, part of the agreement was you have to buy only our beer. Right. And then it would turn out, well, you're not buying enough of our beer. You need to do something. And people would, the bar owners would give away beer with a hamburger or something like that. And, and um, um, there were also problems with um, a, a brewery. Uh, just outright owning the uh, the bars, the, the bars, right? And and then you know if you're the dominant brewery, then you can end up sort of monopolizing uh, uh, all the retail establishments mm. in an area, and it leads to anti-competitive practices. Where, I mean, if 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 uh, you know half of the bars on Sixth Street were were Anheuser Busch or Miller Coors bars and stuff, 
well, where would Live Oak had sold, you know, where, right. where would we have sold our beer? So right. um, um, at uh, repeal of Prohibition, uh, there were um, it, the three-tiered system didn't actually come into being at that time, uh, but it came into being shortly thereafter. In each one of the states, pretty much every state, has adopted some version of the three-tiered system. The big question at the actually at repeal was whether um, uh, the alcohol uh, system was going to be privately owned or whether it was going to be state-run. That was the big question. Gotcha. So the alcoholic beverage code in, in Texas was originally adopted in 1935. And does that sound about right to That's you? That's about right. And, and one thing that I find interesting, I think it's still in the code, is... Uh, at the in the preamble, it says this entire act shall be deemed an exercise of the police power of the state for the protection of the welfare, health, peace, temperance, and safety of the people of Texas, and all its provisions shall be liberally construed for the accomplishment of that purpose. I mean, today reading that, it sounds pretty antiquated. Yeah, it does. But we're still operating under laws, mostly adopted in 1935 and tweaked ever since. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a mess of statutes at this point in time, isn't it? Well, everything has has changed. Um, you know, at the time, the uh, the huge retailer was not even imagined. Sure. Um, and um, retailers have become uh, very very powerful in the grand scheme of the alcohol system. Um, there were only a few breweries, and there were um, um, a lot of distributors, uh, you know, some small businesses in every uh, state or every portion of a state, and so uh, we we got the uh, so-called franchise laws because of that. Well, now it's sort of turned upside down. There's almost five thousand breweries in the U.S. Yes, now, close to six, and right. and um, uh, and then the um, uh, there's a lot of consolidation in the distribution business. Right. So distributors are getting fewer and fewer. So now the shoe's on the other foot. We have fewer businesses to choose from to carry our products instead of the other way around when all the franchise laws were, were made. Hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. I mean, that, to sum it up, you said that, yeah, the three-tiered system is basically put in place to prevent – unfair trade practices um, from occurring and that the laws were written to protect the small businesses of the distribution tier. But now they're, those are huge, close to billion dollar companies. I imagine some of them in Texas, hundred, you know, multiple hundred, hundred million dollars in revenue. Oh, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, it's just and in so, our state. So there are huge businesses sort of protected by these statutes written for small businesses. And we're on the, you know, and we are regulated by <laughs> laws that are supposed to regulate giant companies, well, uh, small businesses. We have some carve-out, you know, we have some, uh, the 2013 was a, the first step in the right direction. So, so that was a big year. It, yeah. it got you the ability to sell beer in a tap room. What else did it do? Anything positive? Well, there there was one bill, uh, Chip, remind well, let's, me. let's do the positive ones first. Okay, if you can, if you can recall yeah, I mean, that, them, go ahead. That's the big one, uh, being able to operate a tap room to sell, to sell beer at the brewery, uh, for on-premise consumption, so people can come in, buy a pint, and drink it there. But just on premise, just right? on premise, okay. nothing, nothing to go. That's all. Always the it, joke. People come in with a, you know, a growler, at, you know, asking if they can fill it. Mm-hmm. You guys fill growlers? Like, we do, but you have to drink it all here. You can't, you know, you can't take it. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Can, we can put to beer go. in it. Yeah, yeah. Also and and uh, brew pubs got the ability to sell their beer to distributors. So now you see brew pub beer on the short, uh, grocery store mm-hmm. shelves. Okay, and, but at brew pubs, uh, you can go fill up that growler and walk out with it, correct? That's correct. So yeah. what's the distinction between a craft brewery and a brew pub? I mean, there's there shouldn't be one. In a lot of states, there is no distinction. In Texas, brew pubs are considered retailers. So they make the beer on site, and they sell it directly to consumers on site. Um but they're capped at ten thousand barrels per location, so there's a volume cap on what they can what they can what they can make. Mm-hmm. Is this okay. what you hear is called blue laws, mm, or is that is that different? That's different. more Sunday okay. sales yeah, yeah. and things like okay. that. Okay, I, I like to think of so 
So uh, craft brewers or microbreweries, or, or however we refer to them now, are manufacturers now with a little bit but limited abilities in distribution and some retail capacity. Right. And brew pubs are uh, retailers with some limited capacity in distribution and manufacturing. Okay. That makes no sense. But <laughs> at any rate. <laughs> regulation. Regulation. So there was another bill passed uh, during the 2013 legislative session that eliminated your ability as a brewery to sell your distribution rights. Tell, tell us how that worked before and after that law. Well, um, so we both self-distribute, and we developed over the years a, a book of business, just like beer distributors do. Right. And um, So in Texas, it, you can self-distribute up to a certain level, correct? That's correct. And what, you can, what's if, that level? if your brewery is uh, up to 125,000 barrels, you can self-distribute 40,000 barrels. Okay. So, over the years, we have proven that um, our business has legs, and sure. and and we've got a, a bunch of customers out there. And if we wanted to uh, have a beer distributor take over our business, they would buy that book of business. So if I've got uh, a thousand customers, and then there's a brewery that wants to give up their distribution, and they have ten customers, one is worth more than the other. Right. These things have value. If it's you an look, asset. If you, it, it it is an asset, it's an intangible asset. But if you look at the the value of a beer distributorship, it's not just the value of their real estate and their building and their trucks and computers and desks. It is also the value of the brands that they own the distribution rights for. Hmm. And ironically, because those brands, they own the right to distribute those brands in a certain territory and that that, that right is uh, almost, but not entirely, irrevocable hmm. and perpetual, that has created a value to it. Sure. Because... It's theirs. It's like owning a car. You own the car. It's not anybody else's. Nobody else can use it. Sounds like the music business kind of <laughs> well, in ways. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, and I was going to com compare it to something else because you said uh, virtually irrevocable and perpetual, and it's territorial, correct? Correct. So this is a lot like the feudal system of, of the mid m medieval times. <laughs> is that right? Am I wrong about that? <laughs> well... I won't argue with you. Okay. All right. Keep For, going. You can, Keep yeah. going. You can choose who your lord is, I suppose. That's yes. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Maybe sort there, of. there might be two instead of one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good Depends times. where you live. Yeah. Right. And, okay. And, and the reason that got to be, and I'll, I'll, I'll put my distributor hat on for a minute, um, is because there were very few breweries, many distributors, and if, if, a, if a brewery were to just take that brand away from them mm -hmm. for uh, – whatever reason that's a that's a big problem to them because sure. that's all that that's what that is a it's about 60 percent the value of a beer distributorship is in their intangible property of these distribution rights okay so, so it served a purpose at one time yes and so uh what happened in uh in 2013 is a law was made that we may no longer sell our distribution rights to a beer distributor. We have to give it to them for free. And then to pour salt in the wound, another part of that bill said, and by the way, beer distributors can continue to sell them between each other. Hmm. So wow. if a beer okay. distributor wants to give up the business and, and sell his brands to the other beer distributor across town, they're valuated. There, there are businesses that do valuations of these things, and so the state of Texas said, "You, Live Oak Brewing Company, cannot sell this piece of property any longer." That's you can get rid of it. You can give it away. You have to give it away, but you can't sell it. 
Didn't Fidel Castro do something similar when he took over in Cuba? Uh, so you you and some others, uh, Revolver Brewery in, in Dallas and, and some other folks sued the state of Texas over this piece of legislation, didn't you? Yes. So what uh, happened with that? Uh, we won in the district court, and the state is appealing. And, um, well, we don't know how that's going to go yet. So the basis of the lawsuit, what, what was your claim, that this was a regulatory taking? What was the legal theory, do you recall? Well, it... it, it and I hate to get lawyerly on you, but I do have that JD behind my name. Every yeah, now and then yeah, I'm going to yeah. do it. Well, we had two claims, that it was a taking and that uh, it was also an infringement on our right of economic liberty. And economic we, liberty, I like that. that well, good. you know, it's the ability to do business without... Uh, unwarranted interference from the government, and um, there was no there was no rational basis for them to make this law. It didn't help the citizens of the state of Texas, except for the beer distributors. So Texas is a very pro-business, free market kind of state. How did how did this bill pass in the first place? Well, uh, beer distributors are very powerful, and uh, the chairman of business and commerce at the time, John Corona, was a very pro-beer distributor. And he, uh, he said, uh, basically, you're going to have to take this law if you want to have these other laws. Wow. Okay. So at this point, fast, fast forwarding to 2017, you won that court case August of last year. Is that about the right timing? Yes. So you now have that asset back, but it's under appeal. It's under appeal. Yeah. Okay. All right. What's the timeline on that? Um, let's see, we've, uh, we put in our brief, they put in their brief, uh, I think, actually, no, they've put in theirs, ours is going in, I think, on the 20th, and then there will be a response from them, Okay. and then it goes All right. to, you yeah, know, I get the it point. goes I get on the and point. on and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, so, so yeah. it'll get wrapped up eventually, and it's sad that we even have to argue over such things. Yeah. But then, here we are in the middle of a legislative session, the 85th legislature of the state of Texas, and we've got about three weeks to go in the session, and I know there's been a bill floating through the process that would allow you to sell beer for off-premise consumption. Where is that in the process? Um, that's been, I guess it's pending in committee right now. It was, it was read in the uh, Senate Business and Commerce Committee, um, and it's just, it's pending. That was mm. a Senate bill heard in Senate Business and Commerce? <clears throat> yes. So that was With Don. three weeks to go? Yeah. yeah. So Senator Don Buckingham filed that bill. Correct. Uh, great senator out of uh, West Travis County. Uh, but with three weeks left to go, what are the chances of that bill passing? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Always the optimist, Jim McElroy. Yes, Absolutely. Sir. Always the optimist. You know, uh, yeah, not not great. I'm, I'm glad that we got a chance to have a hearing because it's just a, the more we can talk about it in public, sure. the more, you know, we can expose how ridiculous, there's, there's no reason, no justifiable reason against it. So the more we can talk about it, at least I think it, it helps out in the long term, even though it, I'm not... I wouldn't bet on it this session for sure. Even even the retailers are not against it. Presumably, that's whose business we would be cutting into. But but I've been told by the major retailers that uh, they look at it as not only is it a marketing opportunity for the brewery, right? But it's going to lead to greater sales at say H E B or you know whatever grocery store but sure you know nobody is going to drive across yeah. town you don't to go Live back Oak. to buy it again yeah you right. just buy it there the first time yeah, yeah. you go to h-e-b yeah and buy some so, so that's what i've heard head out to the airport find <laughs> the fast part i need a six pack that's what i've never understood about the objections uh that come from the beer distributors uh originally to you selling beer in a tap room uh, and now there are objections to you selling a six pack for somebody to take home with them because that is the best kind of marketing, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, people touring breweries is like people touring wineries. And they come there, they taste all your beer, they realize what they like. Like like Charlie said, they're not coming back to the brewery yeah. to buy more beer. Right. right. They're cool. going to the convenience store, to the grocery store. And guess how that beer got in the convenience store and the grocery store? Well, somebody in a, an official shirt and a truck picked it up, took it to the store for them, right. and then they got to then they got to buy it. A beer distributor, Correct. yeah, a beer a distributor. distributor. Is that what I was yeah. describing? Yeah, like a that. distributor. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so all of that's absurd, 
And, and, and then now we have a bill, House Bill 3287 by Representative Goldman, and then Senate Bill 2083 by Senator Seliger, that would limit the ability to have tap rooms and breweries across the state of Texas. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And they're doing it all for our benefit. And that's why, you know, they're, they say that they're, uh, they're just protecting small breweries. And they say that they're just, when they don't let us have off-premises sale, they say, well, we're just protecting retailers. And it turns out the retailers don't want their protection. <laughs> and it turns out that we don't want their protection. And when you say they, you mean the beer distributors. So the beer distributors uh, drafted this piece of legislation that Representative Goldman filed and Senator Seliger filed. And they're the ones pushing it through the process, correct? That's correct. Okay. So where is this bill? Same thing. It's, uh, it's passed through the House by a pretty large margin, um, and it is left pending in the Senate, uh, had a committee hearing, and it's pending at the moment. Okay, so let's, you know, I, I tried reading this bill before we, we came in here so that I could understand what's going on, but it looks to me like the beer distributors don't like the fact that in 2013, uh, you, as a brewery, uh, as breweries, were given the right to have a tap room and sell beer. So this is basically their effort to claw back that 2013 statute and and take away that right to some degree. Uh, it's complicated, I, but yes. They, they're, <laughs> they, they're claiming that they never envisioned large breweries buying small breweries and that the laws in 2013 were passed to promote small, small brewery growth in Texas um, and that the large breweries such as Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors are buying small breweries as a loophole to get around, you know, so they can operate their own tap rooms pretty much. Wow. I never envisioned my hair falling out or my chin getting fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Anheuser, they were, they were already buying up small breweries at the time. And we, I actually, you know, I was not explicitly, I was not in those rooms at the time, but having conversations with the guild, which I was involved in, we brought up that point that as the law is written, there's nothing preventing Anheuser-Busch from opening up a hundred small, you know, small breweries um, mm-hmm. in every city and operating them. And that was a concern that was brought up, but not and, addressed at the time. And they're not doing that. No. So they've had that ability for four years and they haven't been building. No. They haven't been building well, small breweries everywhere. And my response to that would be, who cares? Right. I mean, if, if Live Oak Brewing Company can have a tap room, if Austin Beer Works can have a tap room, if Real L can have a tap room, why shouldn't Anheuser-Busch have a tap room? Why shouldn't Miller Coors have a tap room? I, I, yeah. I don't argue with you at all. I think so, they should. So I think our, it would be great. So our legislature just hates big business? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm not sure it's the legislature. I think it's the beer distributors, and okay. I think they're. I think it's ironic that their biggest foes are their biggest suppliers. They should be working better together, and it's it, it's a very ironic situation. So, what I want to say one thing about about everybody's focused on on large breweries buying smaller breweries, right. but this this bill also is bad for the small brewery. Who wants to grow big? Okay. And that's what I would like to do. I'm not interested in selling off the brewery, although I've always said the first billion takes it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's for sale. Everything's Chip. for sale. That's right. But <laughs> but but we would like to grow. And 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 uh, Michael and I were talking if if we wanted to to uh, combine some some resources, uh, uh, we can't do that if we were to do that we would lose our self-distribution rights because the limit to self-distribution is is only 125,000 barrels and you can only do 40,000 of it so in self-distribution i'm sure our audience is sitting there we'd be out of business now we're both (laughs) we're both at you know over 20. right so i'm pretty sure our audience is sitting out there uh, with their eyes rolling into the back of their head with sheer confusion Uh, but this bill, House Bill 3287, that's working its way through the process, it's now in the Senate, waiting for a vote in the Senate Business and Commerce Committee, would limit the ability to sell beer in a tap room if, if the combined assets, if you started growing and you wanted to open a Live Oak Brewing Company in Dallas, if you ultimately got to the level where you were, you were brewing more than 225,000 barrels of beer in a year, Right. What would happen? Well, they've 
they've put in the the bill this language of what's referred to as a dock bump. A dock bump. Well, at that at that point, if you're if you're above two hundred twenty five thousand barrels, you lose your tap room. Period. Yeah, that, well, that's the limit that. of who can have a yeah. tap room. Okay. And just for a sense yeah. of scale, like last year, there were uh, I think a little over twenty one million barrels of beer consumed or sold in Texas. So they're saying if you have slightly more than one percent market share in Texas, you can't have a tap room. Hmm. So it's not yeah. So but, and the and the other thing that this bill does is here's here's Oscar Blues, uh, who's doing well all around the country, but but down here in Texas they have just the one brewery and it's just getting going and and uh, they built a brewery down here I, I presume because they did it right after thirteen. Uh, they built a brewery down here because we changed our laws and they could have a tap room and they sure. like to have music and right. they like to do all that stuff. And so they built a brewery down here and now we're about to make a law that says uh, with their uh, adding up to their 225 or more that, that they have up in, what, two other breweries around the U.S.? Yep. That this would, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to shut down their tap room, but they incur other limits on their ability to do business. And one of the worst ones is a 5,000 barrel limit. So what we agreed to uh, in 2013 is if you have a tap room that you're limited to 5,000 barrels. Well, that's a nice limit. That's a nice amount to be able to sell out of one place. On one site. There's, I don't know of anybody who's, you know, people have gotten up to 4,000, I think, in the largest uh, and that was a brew pub, largest brew pub in the country. Might mm-hmm. have been out in, out in uh, Vegas or something, and 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 they might have sold four thousand. So five thousand was a good number. Okay. And this law changes it to five thousand in aggregate of all of your places. So World, worldwide. Wor- yeah. Oh yeah, worldwide. Actually, yeah. Which is strange to regulate. Yeah, and I'm not even sure how the state of Texas would enforce that. Would enforce? How do they know how much is sold in a Colorado brewery? Uh, That's a good point. But but yeah, that Hmm. and to be so good to go back to that 225,000 barrel limit. That that was the limit that was established in 2013. So that's not new. But what is new is that they're tying all. I think the language says um, if you're owned directly or indirectly um, by any subsidiary affiliate you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that your production is tied together with all of those facilities. So if, if a brewery in California invests 1% in our company, our, suddenly our total production is tied together. And if that total production is above 225,000, um, it triggers this clause in there. We can still operate a tap room as long as our specific brewery is not over 225,000. But so if the combined production is over 225, uh, then we can still have a tap room but every beer sold through the tap room has to go through a distributor first. So <laughs> hold right. on a second. Yeah. See, again, Charlie, this goes back to that what I said in a previous episode where we need that record stop screech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So if you trigger the certain level of sales combined now, because it used to be under current law, it's for one site. Now it's combined. So if you have a bunch of breweries or another investor, all those get combined, you exceed that limit. Now you have to buy the beer that you sell in your tap room from a distributor, mm-hmm. even though that beer is right down the hallway. It doesn't, yeah, it would never theoretically leave the premises. So you would make it, put it in a keg, sell it to the distributor with an invoice, and they would sell it back to you for a, usually a 30% markup, and then you could sell it to the consumer. So you're just Man. handing it. It never has to leave the brewery. And the way the law's written, you would pay them in cash you have to pay them. You have to pay them immediately, and yeah, then they, and then and then they could take. Uh, well, they establish credit terms, so they could take thirty days to pay you back for it. Cash. The brewer. Yeah. Pay, the brewer. The brewer pays the distributor cash. The cash yeah. can pay, pay the brewer uh, whenever they want. And that, and whatever that, terms. That's are established. the funny thing. You know, we would be selling it to them before they sell it back to us. But we have to pay them immediately, and they can have 30 days to pay us or whatever our terms are. That's a leverage. I mean, that that's, doesn't seem very fair. Seems like that could be abused to, in a way to perhaps uh, benefit uh, the distributor and, and, and not so much benefit <laughs> the brewer. Right. Huh. I mean, that's well, just, well, I mean, it seems like get in line. 
There's so many things that seem to be screwed up with the regulation of, of breweries and what we call craft brew. I mean, where do you even begin? What's number one? Well, and, and it's all done ostensibly to protect small brewers. <laughs> and Because, and Chip, you're too stupid to take care of your own business. I know. Well, I hate to break that to you. And the, and the consumer is too stupid to know who, you know, what beer to drink and for what reason. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, well but and there, the, the proof that that's not exactly the reason why the distributors wanted this bill is because the way out of this for us is to just sell them beer that we're going to serve and our is to give them the dock bump the taproom tax the taproom tax okay and so that's that, your that makes it giving them a that piece. makes it all okay so house bill 3287 as we mentioned was voted out of the house i believe on finally it passed second reading friday this past week third reading saturday and this bill limits a Texas brewery's right to operate a taproom. It, at some juncture, imposes a taproom tax on the brewery and ultimately the consumer, right? And so this is an anti-competitive bill. It's not a pro-business bill. It's not a pro-free market bill. But what shocks me about this, and tell me where I'm going wrong on this, is this bill passed... This is a Republican House of Representatives. Maybe that doesn't mean anything anymore, but this bill passed with 111 ayes and 33 nays. So to me, that means there are only 33 members in the Texas House of Representative, Representatives willing to vote in a pro-business free market manner. Am I missing something? I don't think you are. I mean, I think it's intentionally, the bill is intentionally confusing. And if you're just, I, I can't imagine every legislator reads every bill closely. And it, even us talking about it takes maybe 40 minutes to understand what the intent is. If you're just talking about bullet points and you're saying this bill is designed to protect small brewers from uh, from large brewers, that sounds, that sounds fine. That sounds like you're protecting Texas business, but that's not what the language does. And, you know, I actually pointed out that it's a Republican legislature because and the, because I assume, based on the way they campaign, they all campaign that they're pro-business, pro-free market, pro-competition, yet they, they vote the other way around. And, and I didn't mean that to offend any of my Democratic friends because I'm looking at the list of people who voted against this bill, which was which was the right vote. And it would be too long. It would take too long for me to read the list of people who voted for this bill. But I'm going to read the list of people who voted against it. And by voting against it, they voted for the free markets. They voted for Texas breweries. Let's make that clear. Kyle Biederman, Briscoe Kane, Nicole Collier, Scott Cosper, Pat Fallon, Jessica Farrar, Gina Hinojosa, Donna Howard, Jason Isaac, Celia Israel, Mark Keogh, Stephanie Click, Matt Krause, Mike Lang, Will Metcalf, Jeannie Morrison, Pancho Navarez, Dennis Paul, Larry Phillips, Matt Rinaldi, Eddie Rodriguez, Ramon Romero, Scott Sanford, Matt Schaefer, Mike Schofield, Matt Shaheen, J.D. Sheffield, Jonathan Sticklin, Lynn Stuckey, Valerie Swanson, Tony Tenderholt, Terry Wilson, and Bill Zedler. Beers, beers on us if you ever come to our tap room. Those yeah. are the people who <laughs> voted for free markets in competition in the state of Texas and voted to support craft breweries and breweries brew, not, just, not just craft breweries but breweries as a whole yeah i i agree with you when when you say who cares if anheuser bush or miller coors has a tap room everybody should be allowed to have a tap room why this not? is texas yeah why not and you know put the five thousand barrel limit on it just like we have yeah uh, no one's afraid. Yeah, it seems like once again, who are they protecting? Those are the people those, they claim they to be, be protecting. Yeah, against us, and we don't care. Hmm. So just to point out again, I mean, to I take don't. it just slightly outside the the conversation about beer, and to go back to the point we were making earlier about how archaic the alcoholic beverage code is, we have laws on the books in the state of Texas that say if you're a liquor store, you can only own five liquor stores. You've been to a Specs. 
You've been to a Twin Liquors? I think there are over 150 specs in the state of Texas. Now, how is that possible? Oh, right? Gotta have a big family. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of adopted right. kids, yeah, right? Yeah. How, why do, why, how do we have unadopted children if that's the case? Because the way the law works is each family member can have five stores, then you consolidate them, then you have your cousin go out and get five stores and you consolidate them. So it's a loophole. Right. Yet, and, and it. It shouldn't be a law that's there at all. Correct. Why not? I mean, and, why and re- can't specs have as many as sure. they need to have? Absolutely. Well, that, sure. There's another, I mean, it's a it's in court right now, but there's another explicit for uh, prohibition of any publicly traded company from owning a package store in Texas. So what do you think the rationale is for that? I don't know. You know, it's strange. And I actually, going back We also now, need I, a crickets. Yeah. Yeah. Sound yeah. Effect. yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, I might a, sit on the sidelines on that one right. because it's something that's that's out of my. Yeah, I mean it's in there, and the, and the strange thing well, I you know went back and looked at the code, and the, the definition of a public of a publicly traded company is either it's on a public stock exchange or it's a company that has more than thirty five investors, which is really strange. Thirty five. Wow. Yeah, so it's not a it's not a huge number. Hmm. I think no. there's a lot of breweries with more than thirty five investors. Well, again, I think the reason that law was adopted because the existing liquor store mafia in the state of texas got worried that walmart and walgreens and these publicly traded companies were going to start selling liquor on the liquor shelves and they didn't want the competition so they got this law passed yet another anti-competitive uh, anti-business anti-free market law in the state of texas so the the alcoholic beverage code in my opinion and and this goes back to my earlier disclaimer at the beginning of the show this is trey blocker's opinion Nobody else's opinion, not my clients' opinions, not my employees' opinions, not Chip's, not Michael's, nobody's. The whole code needs to be scrapped. The whole code needs to be scrapped, and we just need to start over. And rather than having a a code that was drafted in 1935 and today has been twisted around to benefit the few and, and, and harm the many, we should just start over. Start over with the new law. You're not going to hear me uh, argue with that. Sunset, Sunset's coming up. So, yes, and I think we brought up the Sunset process on this show before. That is a process by which the Sunset Commission of the state of Texas, about every 10, 12 years, reviews every agency, makes recommendations on how to improve it, how to make it better, how to make the law better. So the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission is about to go through that Sunset process again. Uh, interestingly, for some reason, the last time they went through it was in 2005, um, and the the commission staff, the Sunset Commission staff, made some great recommendations, uh, and none of them were adopted. Um, you know, and interestingly, at that time, Howard Wolf, who's an Austin lawyer and was one of the public members th- who sat on the Alcoholic Beverage Commission. Um, made a comment in an article that, that I have in front of me. He said, the current regulatory scheme is not set up to protect the public. It's set up to protect monopolies. Howard Wolf was a public member of the Alcoholic Beverage Commission. He actually, back in 2005, wanted to ask some witnesses some questions and make this point, and the chairman of the commission wouldn't let him told him it was out of bounds for him to ask those questions. So he then wanted to get off the dais and go around and get at the, at the microphone where the public came to speak and, and make these comments uh, to the whole commission, and he was not allowed to do that either. Uh, so ultimately what the, what the Sunset Commission told him to do was write us a letter, Howard. Write us a letter and tell us what you think uh, is, is wrong with this. And if you Google, and actually we will put a link to this on our website uh, because I think it's a paper worth reading, but if you Google Howard Wolf, TABC Sunset, you will find this position paper that Howard Wolf wrote. And he points out, and, and, and there are a lot of good quotes in here, uh, and he, he points out all of the problems with the, with the system as a whole. Um, but he, at the very start, he says, at the time of the repeal of Prohibition, The major issues facing the regulation of alcoholic beverages related to assuring that products sold to consumers were untainted and produced in licensed facilities. That's a good thing, right? Uh, Assuring that wholesale and retail distribution of products was not controlled by organized crime. 
I, I can make a comment, but I'm going to keep yeah, going. Uh, yeah, um, that, that's where the crickets go. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, and, and they were also concerned about widespread public intemperance um, and, and vertical integration as well. So Howard Wolf says, you know, these issues were addressed in the statute as originally adopted by the creation of a three-tier system designed to license and separately control the production, distribution, and retail sale of alcoholic beverages. But he goes on to say that the system's been thwarted to benefit the few, and he talks about how the whole system at this point is, is corrupt. And in this position paper, he says the essential definition of corruption in a representative democracy is the usurpation of public authority to the advancement of private interest. The system currently used to regulate alcoholic beverages in Texas now promotes and protects private rather than public welfare. He goes on to say, a statute that was designed to promote public health, safety, and welfare has over time been subverted by the economic interest of the entities it was intended to regulate. Now the legalized system operates primarily to prevent competition, protect anti-competitive conduct, and otherwise thwart the functioning of a free market in the manufacture, distribution, and sell of alcoholic beverages. So, as you can tell, this is He a, nailed it. He nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. Um, and he goes on for 10 more pages, and we'll make this available on the website for people to read, but it absolutely floors me that in a state that prides itself on being pro-business, on being for free markets and competition, would allow, after all these years, for a system like this to stay in place. And I don't care if it's this system or if it's a system that regulates car dealerships. They're statutes set up to protect monopolies. And it's sad that they're still on the books. Yep. Absolutely sad. And now we have this bill, as we've been discussing, this House Bill 3287, which is going to further inhibit the growth of breweries in the state of Texas. It's going to increased costs for consumers, and yet this is going through the process. It's a bad bill. It's bad for breweries in the state of Texas. It's bad for competition, free markets, and it's not pro-business. Well, you, you don't have to look very far uh, for evidence that our laws are uh, counterproductive to uh, the, the brewing industry because we're 46th, is that right? Mm-hmm in a uh, number of, of uh, breweries per capita, and yet we're pretty high on the beers consumed per capita. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we mean, Texans like our, we like beer. And why are we so far behind in the whole beer deal? We are well, pro-beer. Right, yeah. Charlie? We are absolutely pro-beer, and now we should probably be pro-beer deregulation. Yeah. That's another interesting stat. So all, all of the all these craft breweries, all of the breweries in the state that are under 225,000 barrels combined sell about 2.5% of the total beer consumed in the state. So all of those, I mean, that's that's the size of our entire craft beer industry and how big, that's our market share, 2.5%. Wow. But the economic, economic impact is what? Oh, I think the last I checked, it's in the, I mean, it's more than a, a few billion. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and this is, I think, 2014 is the last... Uh, the last study and there have been a lot of new breweries that have opened up since then and and who knows where it would be heading or where it would be now if we actually had a free market system oh yeah okay well look go ahead chip you got some stats there you go uh this was uh in 16 uh no the uh, in 14 uh 3770 million dollars impact so what is that that's 3.77 billion dollars wow um um let's say well okay anyway, we could go so on it's a, it's that. a huge but, impact but and it, it, big, would, it would be even more if the law allowed well sure i think is the bottom line sure it would well look at, you know i've never done this before and i i don't know that i've charlie have i ever gotten this worked up on a show before i'm not sure your lather is up <laughs> i am lathered up uh and not in a good way and i've never done this before but what i'm going to do i i am appalled absolutely appalled that this bill passed with 111 votes out of the house it's already been heard in the senate it's waiting for a vote in the senate business and commerce committee and then it heads to the floor and then potentially to the governor for the governor to sign or veto. And so I am going to put a petition on my website at treyblocker.com and treyblockershow.com. 
And I would like for all of our, our audience, everyone listening who likes drinking beer, who likes craft beer, who likes Anheuser-Busch, who likes Miller Coors, who likes beer, period, and is in favor of the free markets in the state of Texas and is pro-business to go online and sign a petition that we're going to put together uh, to present to the governor, urging him, if this bill gets to his desk, to veto this bad piece of legislation and to, and, and to protect breweries in the state of Texas. Fantastic. Yeah. I hope it doesn't make, their, make it there, but uh, this would be great just in case. All right. I'll sign it. Yeah. How many did we get on our petition in, what was it, 24 <laughs> hours or 48 yeah. hours? And uh, I think in, in 24 hours, uh, just a little over 24 hours, we got about 8,000 signatures against the bill, the House the house version. Wow. It's still passed with that margin. But. Wow. That, that, those are good numbers. Yeah. Chip McElroy, owner of Live Oak Brewing Company here in Austin, Texas, and Michael Graham, co-founder of Austin Beer Works. We appreciate you coming into the studio today to talk about these issues. And we hope you'll come back sometime. As I said, we are putting a petition, a petition on the website. Go to TreyBlocker.com, TreyBlockerShow.com. Sign our petition to the governor asking him to protect breweries in the state of Texas. Well, thank you very much for having us. And lots of thanks to those representatives who did vote against that bill. Absolutely. Like I said, beer's on us. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, gentlemen. Until next time. This has been the Trey Blocker Show. You can find more episodes at treyblocker.com or just download episodes from your favorite podcasting app. And thank you to our guests, Michael Graham and Chip McElroy.